0: So just as I taught last time, I'm hoping to have more of a discussion. Although um, I can teach this passage, but I think it'll be helpful for all of us to um, to just maybe talk through a few points because a lot of what we've gone through in John hasn't it, it's had application, but not as much as I think this passage here. And so, um, so I would just love uh kind of an open dialogue as we go through this and so um, i want to start by actually working backwards uh through through the text tonight i think it's going to help us a lot um when i had gone through this i couldn't help but think about something that happened to me at work when i was a paramedic uh i ran a call where uh a younger guy got hit um he was riding a bicycle and he basically got run over. Anyways, we picked him up in the ambulance and we stabilized him and got him to the hospital. And as we got to the hospital, uh, his wife, as we we got him into the emergency room, his wife got to the hospital as well, because she was notified and she was in the waiting room. She didn't have any clue what was going on, other than her husband had uh, been hit, you know, by a car, and so um, I made my way over into the waiting room, and she was all shook up, and she was confused, and she was, you know, she didn't really know what was going on. And uh, I'll never forget what happened because I was able to talk to her and communicate that, hey, I was the paramedic that ran in. Your husband, he's stable you know, everything's going to be okay. And, you know, just take things one step at a time. And I just, uh, I saw the value in that moment of communicating to her what was going to happen because she was completely in disarray and confused and and didn't have the information that she needed to keep her calm. So, um, she, her and her husband ended up being my close friends later on down the line, believe it or not, because he was a guy that went to Cornerstone Church, which the church is, it was the church that I used to go to. Um, But anyways, funny story. But just in that moment, I saw the importance of communicating um, to somebody effectively in kind of a precarious or uncertain time. And so in the same way the passage that we're going through tonight jesus is doing the same thing with his disciples so he's he's already stated what we talked about in the other teaching that his hour has come he's about to go to the cross and uh, his disciples are somewhat confused about what's going on uh there there's kind of an uncertainty um, about the future and so jesus is going to spend some time talking about hey. This is what the plan is. This is what's going to happen to you. And in that, it's going to comfort the disciples. So let's work backwards. I actually want to start in John 16 and read uh, verses 1 through 4. So it starts out and it says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I've said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember I told them to you. So, again, the whole purpose of chapter 15 and the stuff that we're going to go over tonight is for two reasons. One, uh, he's saying these things to keep the disciples from falling away, right? And two, it's almost prophetic in nature. In verse four, he says, um, that when the hour comes or when these things happen, that you'll remember that I told them to you. And so it serves as a, as a form of encouragement um, to keep the disciples from falling away and a really almost like a fulfillment of prophecy to what Jesus is talking about. So um, I'm going to give you a quick breakdown of the, f- I, I broke it up into four parts, what we're going to go over tonight. Uh, the first part is this big picture that Jesus is going to give the disciples of um, what God is doing in the world, specifically with the believers, and He's going to use this metaphor of a vineyard, which was common in ancient religions. Uh, this this picture, or this image of a vineyard, and that's that that first section is John 15. If you guys are taking notes, John 15, uh, verse one through eleven. So then He's going to take a closer picture of what it means to bear fruit in God's kingdom. In John 15, 12 through 17. And for those who bear fruit and follow Christ, he's going to tell you what the world's response is to that. And that's in John 15, 18 through 25. And then Jesus is going to bring it full swing in 16, 1 through 4, which which we just talked about the whole reason why he was saying these things to the disciples. So um, I want to start out by showing you a video. It's five minutes long but we live in southern california and um grapes just don't come from supermarkets they they actually come from fields and vineyards and so i found this video and it's a great image of uh what a vineyard looks like um who are the the key players involved namely the the vine dresser and what it looks like and what it feels like to have a vineyard and manage a vineyard. So um, I'm gonna play that for you right now. Let me share my screen.
1: Welcome to the vineyard. John 15 is very near and dear to me because I am a vine dresser. This is what I do for a living it really wasn't until, you know, bring people out here to get them a first look at uh, what grape growing is, what wine growing is, you really get an idea of, of the hard work that it takes to produce good, great quality fruit. Um, many people here in the valley, you have tourists that come and say, oh, wow, isn't it great? There's a lot of money and all these uh, great labels, but you know what? uh there are many other industries that you can uh, be in and make a lot more money for a lot less risk so grape growing is not one of those things you don't do it for the money you do it because you love to grow grapes and you love the fruit okay Um, one thing here guys uh, in john 15 the lord said i am the true vine my father is the vine dresser Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. We're going to walk over here briefly. And this is a 25 year old vine, 25 años. And you can see it's very mature. And if we get closer here, these were in bloom right now. Uh, so each one of these little uh, berries that you guys see is going through bloom right now. And God willing, all every single one will be a, a grape berry to produce a big crop. And you guys can see we got a good sized crop here, okay? But you guys could see what? A lot of branches that are on the ground. Why? Because those are not gonna bear fruit. And you know what? It's hard work because you've gotta go in here, this one's not gonna bear fruit. The Lord says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he what? He takes off. He takes off. And what happens to them when they, they're taken off? They die and wither because they're not connected to the vine anymore. There's no going back. It's done. Okay? If we come closer here also, there's a reason why uh, it needs light. The Lord said He is the light of the world. And look at this. Uh, being the vine dresser, you've got to go in there by hand. Did you guys know that with all this technology in Silicon Valley here, we have not developed any machine yet that you can pull in here with a tractor that will sucker, that will do the thinning that needs to be done. It still needs to be done by hand in the 21st century.
0: Oh, uh, praise you,
1: huh? you know? And you know what, being a vine dresser, it's not about being a machine. You've got to get in there, you've got to get your hands dirty. And um, our, our father in Heatherven, Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, these green shoots, okay? Look at how green and healthy they are. The Lord knows exactly what it is that we need. It takes about 36 inches, about 20 leaves per shoot, this is called a shoot, to ripen two clusters of fruit. Isn't that amazing? It's not just a lot of people think, oh, what are you guys doing out there? Uh, it's not harvest. They, a lot of people think that being a grape grower is just harvesting uh, once a year and then sleeping. No, it's a lot of hard work. You gotta plan, you have to uh, thin, you gotta prune. Pruning is hard work. These branches that are uh, backwards over here, that are not exposed to light, okay? They're not gonna do well. They're, they're susceptible to mold, to diseases. They need to come off. What did, what did I just do? I cut it off oh my. this is the tools of the vine dresser okay They're sharp and you know what uh, all these also come off only the vine dresser has the shears that's his job okay it's not our job if it were our job we'd want to be able to prune others right thank God that it's his ministry uh, that our father in heaven is the one that does the
0: pruning. It's a pretty cool video, huh? <laughs> I had a, uh, I filmed, uh, I filmed a segment for Eternity Bible college and it, um, it, it had, uh, I went to a blueberry farm and I had all that video to show. And I'm like, I'm watching it and I'm like, this isn't going to capture kind of what Jesus is talking about, so I found that video, um, but it's it's just a good illustration of the the, the characters or the people that uh, Jesus is talking about in this passage. So let's let's start in John 15. Um, Jesus says, "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes." If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So like I said before, um, Along with the video, you guys have a clear image of what Jesus is talking about. Um, a vine or vineyard, a vineyard was a, it was a common motif. Uh, motif is just a literary design uh, in ancient religions. And the vineyard is supposed to represent fruitfulness and provision and bounty and abundance and riches and goodness. And ironically enough, in the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to be that vineyard, that bountiful vineyard, um, uh, full of richness and goodness. In fact, in Psalm 80, uh, and specifically verse 8, God says, You, God, brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. In Isaiah chapter 5, specifically looking at verse 7, He says, the vineyard of the Lord uh, Lord our host is the house of Israel. Uh, And Jeremiah talks about planting a vineyard, how God planted a vineyard. Uh, Jeremiah 2, verse 21 says, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. And there's a warning in Ezekiel. Ezekiel talks about um, the vineyard, basically, that, that doesn't produce fruit or good fruit that God's going to make desolate. And that's, that's in Ezekiel chapter 15, uh, specifically verse eight. It says, I will make the land desolate because they have acted faithlessly declares the Lord God. And so again, in the disciples minds, this would be kind of rattling around in their head. um, This whole picture of a vineyard and how Israel was supposed to be the true vine or, or the, the, the vine to produce all this good fruit and they fail to do so. And Jesus comes on scene and he says, just like Israel was supposed to be that true vine. I am the true vine in 15 verse one. So this is going to be the last of Jesus's I am statements. Um, We've talked about a few of them before where Jesus is describing who he is and his character. Uh, Jesus has already described himself as being, I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And now he's saying that I am the true vine. And again, this is a whole playoff. And we talked about this before. This is a whole playoff or a off The passage in Exodus three, where God describes himself as being the self existing one or the great I am. So Jesus himself here is declaring uh, that and reflecting that as he says, I am the true vine. So we have the vine dresser, which is God, and he's responsible overseeing the whole vineyard. He's responsible for the pruning that goes on, and he's responsible for overseeing that the vineyard is producing good fruit. We have Jesus being the the vine, right, where all the branches are connected in. And in verse 5, he says that we are those branches that are connected to the vine. So let me ask you a question. Is it possible to produce fruit apart from the vine? And I'm not talking about the, the actual vine. I'm talking about in our own lives, because this is obviously what Jesus is talking about here. Um, he's taking this metaphor and applying it to our own lives. And I ask you, and this will be kind of an open discussion, apart from Jesus, is it possible to produce good fruit? Is it possible to do good things?
2: What are your thoughts? I mean, Jeff, I would... I would say if, if the parable means something, then no, um, right. I mean, and it doesn't, I mean, you know, sometimes it's like, well, you don't want to read in too many of the details of the parable, but it's like, no, you, you really specifically says the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. So, so no, so, uh, I guess the other, I mean, that that's the surface Uh, answer now but what does that mean because don't people do some good things all the time right any other any other thoughts on that yeah anybody else
0: what do you guys think anybody else i had a um i had a quick story to to as i just i thought about this verse um when i first came to know the lord i (laughs) I was so excited and zealous. Like I just, I wanted to do everything I could on my end to produce good fruit or do good things for God. Um, And uh, there was a guy by the name of Francis Chan, who was my pastor. And he, I would say, I mean, when I looked at him, he would definitely be on the more extreme end of living for God. In fact, at one point, he was giving 50% of every dollar he made away. And so just because he looked at the verse, love your neighbor neighbor as yourself, and he's like, okay, if I'm loving my neighbor as myself, that means I'm going to spend as much money as I make on myself on them. And so he he would give 50% away, um, if not more later on uh, to, you know, to the poor, whoever needed it. And so I was like, okay, I got to do that in order to produce good fruit. I got it. I got to start giving away 50% of my income. And so I did that for not very long. I'll tell you that that much, because what had happened was I I truly believed that I was like that branch that was trying to bear fruit that wasn't in the vine. Like I was doing it on my own strength and sure, I was doing it, and I, and I think it was a good thing, but it didn't last, right? Like, I I don't know how long I lasted, maybe a month doing that or something like that. But it really didn't come out of a love for, for Jesus. It was more like me grunting and groaning, trying to just bear fruit for God. And I truly believe there's something to that, right? Like, I believe that there's a difference between doing good works that are from a love for God and a love for Christ, Um, And there's a difference between doing that and then just trying to bear bear through it and do things out of like legalism and I have to do this because I I truly believe that that type of fruit is not going to last like eventually it's going to wither and die like the passage says, and so um, I just thought that was a really cool story I think that um, it just reminded me of kind of what I went through as i tried to to bear fruit apart from christ and so i think for all of us you know um we can't push us faster than what god is pushing us or, or growing us and so i think it's important to just recognize that so um he talks about abiding and we we just talked about that a little bit about abiding in christ and so um The passage is actually going to go on and he's going to take a closer look at what it means to actually abide in Christ. So let's keep going in verse nine. It says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Yet did Um, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and then your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So my question to you, looking at this passage is if we're called to abide in christ to produce good fruit how do we abide like what is what does that look like in our lives using the text if you actually I want you to look down in the text and what does it mean to abide in christ specifically let me put it so, another way so, does uh oh go ahead i was just gonna say um from verse 10, um, if we are abiding, then we will keep Jesus' commandments. Okay. So what is, what is Jesus's commandments then? Right.
2: Hey, Jeff, I see in, um, in verse seven, I don't know if this is one of the things you're, you're shooting out, but. If you abide in me and my words abide in you i think there's some sort of in uh implicit statement in there that we should know the words of be very familiar with jesus's words yeah um that's a way to abide in him i suppose
0: yeah so um knowing jesus's words I mean, if it verse 10 says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, right? So part of keeping God's commandments is knowing his word. So that's good. But I'm looking for something specific here. So so we abide by keeping Jesus's commandments, but what does he command from this verse? Look at verse 13. It says, greater love. That no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. I'm sorry, it starts at verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. So think about this for a second. So, in order to abide in Christ, in order for the branch to be connected to the vine, we have to keep Jesus' commandments and sometimes we think of oh 10 commandments like right away when we think commandments no what is what is verse 12 says this is my commandment that you love one another as i have loved you so jesus's commandment to us in order to abide and this is the point is that we need to love one another as christ loved the disciples in the world which is crazy to think about because it's not it's not a thou shall not lie or thou shalt not steal. And it may be part of that, right? In in loving someone, but the commandment is so much greater than just, you know, rattling off of one of the 10 commandments. It's it's actually loving sacrificially the world, which is which is kind of crazy to think about. So my question to you, which I had a really hard time, <laughs> I had a really hard time this week. Um, thinking through this it's so funny so i had to ask myself how am i self-sacrificially loving those around me like not not just like loving those around me but like self-sacrificially loving like christ did those around me both my friends and my enemies and I kid you not, you guys, I must have failed, like, th- like there was three specific times where different things happened to me throughout the week, and I just completely fell on my face and failed. Like, I had I had plans with somebody, and it was their birthday, and all that was rattling through my mind was, like, you need to hang out with this person, like, it's, like, the most loving thing to do, you need to set aside your, you know, your time and your energy and, and do this to this person. And at the end of the day, I was exhausted and I ended up just not flaking. I put, put it off another week to hang out with him. but I don't know, over and over again, I was just reminded of how often I fall short in this area. But, um, I was thinking for all of us, as we go throughout the week, think about the people, think about how we can actually fulfill this commandment. Think about the people that were around, think about maybe your boss, Or your students, or your neighbors, or your friends, or your family members that maybe you don't get along with so well. Like we're called as a commandment to love them like Christ loved the disciples. And so, um, yeah, just going through this passage, it was convicting even for me this week to think through that what it means to abide in the vine and produce good fruit means that we have to love like Christ's love, right? If we want to produce good fruit. And it's clear, I'm going to read a passage out of Matthew seven, that fruitfulness, this fruit that we're supposed to be bearing is it's an infallible mark of a Christian, right? Like as people look at our lives, they should see this good fruit, this fruit of love and self-sacrifice. And so um, Matthew seven is pretty clear on this. When Jesus says, beware of false prophets Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So one of the other things I I just want to touch on is um, the danger of not abiding in Christ. Now, um, I want to just go back real quick um, to the previous passage that we talked about. Jesus makes a statement um in verse six it says everyone that does not abide in me he is thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned now some christians have looked at that and have said okay that's hell that he's talking about or some christians theologians and said hey that's just means destruction on this earth either way i think it's clear um however you take that, that not abiding in Christ and not bearing fruit and not loving like uh, like Christ loves, it ultimately leads to destruction. And we see this with Israel. That's exactly what happened to Israel, right? The passages I read in the Old Testament where there was a warning uh, to Israel, hey, you're this choice vineyard. You're called to produce good fruit and as history went on, they didn't, they fell away from God, right? They became disconnected from the vine and they started producing bad fruit. And I mean, there was a very literal destruction in 70 AD when the temple was destroyed and there was a great fire, right? And, um, and ultimately it just led to destruction. And so, uh, there's a warning here for us too, that, we need to continue to abide in Christ and bear good fruit. Or, I mean, there's a there's a reality there that we also might um, suffer that same judgment. And so, I know that's pretty heavy. Any thoughts on that or questions so far? I just want to say, thank. Go
2: ahead, Josiah,
0: please. And I just want to say thank you, Jeff, for teaching on this um passage. It's I um I read John 15, 13 a few days or not too long ago, and it, it really convicted me. Just keep it simple, right? Like yeah. God wants us to love one another. And it was yeah. just a good reminder. So, anyways, just want to say thank you for teaching on it. Yeah, and I, I think too, just a quick note. Um a lot of times when we think of bearing fruit uh we think of like galatians 5 the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness and i think those are all good things but i i truly believe that it that fruit or peace patience kindness goodness it all has to stem especially from this passage that makes it clear has to stem first and foremost from a love of christ right um and a love for others otherwise i think we're just doing things on our own um strength and so yeah just a just a quick note but yeah and Hi, I, I i too
2: was convicted go ahead yeah that's that's good i mean it's it's called the fruit of the spirit for a reason right like it's not the fruit of jeff yeah um but it's it's actually sourced um in the nutrients and nourishment of the, of the vine, or, you know, in this, in this case, Jesus, but in our case, the, you know, the spirit of Christ in us. Yeah, yeah, that's good. And thanks, Jeff, too, for pointing out in this section here, the, just this connection of, hey, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide my love. And then he just goes on to say, hey, this is my commandment. Yeah. Um, To love one another. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, I don't know that I've quite seen that um, direct connection before that he immediately kind of lists a a great commandment. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks man.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this next section in 18 through 25, this is kind of, we're getting into again, Jesus um, stating basically what he had said and now working its way into kind of a comfort, right? Because the reality is, is that um, there is a whole world system that is opposed to God. And I don't know, um, I don't know who's listening on the podcast. Um, this might be kind of foreign to you that whole concept that the world um, itself is against God. Which it it might sound a little weird, but we're going to talk about that. But um, let's keep going through, starting in verse 18. Jesus says, "If the world hates you," Know that it has hated me before it's hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you a servant is not greater than his master. <clears throat> Excuse me. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. <clears throat> If they kept my word, they will keep yours. They will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done Uh, among them the works that no one else did they would not be guilty of sin but now they have seen and hated both me and my father but the word but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled they hated me without a cause so jesus starts to introduce this this whole concept of hey if the world hates you just know that it hated me first and so for those who are not familiar with this whole thing the bible tells us that there there is a world system that the world is actually in fact um satan is actually in control of the world system yes jesus has overcome that system but as we sit in today's present age um that's who basically runs the world and so um to kind of talk about that a little more second corinthians 4 4 um talks a little bit about this it says in their case the god of this world i.e satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god colossians in chapter one uh he talks about a dominion of darkness or a kingdom of darkness says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And so, the whole reason why Jesus came was to oppose that system, that evil system, and to overthrow it, in which he did on the cross. But realize in doing that, the world and Satan and everything that stands opposed to God hates Jesus for that. And so, why? Why does the world system hate Jesus? for doing what he did well in john seven seven we had read that jesus testifies that the world and its works are evil right and so naturally if you have a whole system flowing one way and you have somebody standing opposed to that right there's going to be some sort of persecution and so jesus is saying here if the world hates you because one either you, you you follow me or two, because of what you represent, namely Jesus, know that he had hated uh that they that the world had hated Jesus first. And so he's saying this as a form of an encouragement to all of us. And so um again, we see this throughout scripture. All those who follow God um typically leads to some sort of, of persecution. And if you remember pharaoh pursued moses and tried to kill him david was pursued by saul the prophets in the old testament sustained continual persecution and resistance throughout their ministry um daniel was thrown to the lions john and paul were beheaded peter was crucified andrew was crucified uh hebrews chapter 11 talks about you know these different people who walked in faith and followed god and basically uh, paid for it through persecution and even their lives so my whole point is is that as christians we're not gonna fit into this world system right if we follow christ not all the time so don't be surprised by it um i have a quick funny story uh uh it's <laughs> I, I, I went into my science class in college. I'll never forget this. Um, I was a newer believer at the time, but there was a girl who um, who wasn't a Christian, and at the time, I had been studying the Bible so much, it was just kind of, I was getting familiar with all the, the Christian te- uh, terminology and all the, the things the Bible says, all the words that the Bible uses. And so I wasn't even thinking twice about it, but um, I got to know this girl in my science class and it was just some random thing that happened. She had dropped, or I dropped a pen on the ground and she grabbed it. And I just thought it was really kind of her to do. So I'm like, oh, thank you. What a great servant. And she's like, "Hey." and i'm like i didn't even think twice about it because here i am using a christian word and she wasn't even familiar with that whole concept but my whole point being like i realized in that moment that man we are so different than the rest of the world when we say servant it means something entirely different to us than it does the rest of the world and so in some ways we stick out kind of like a sore thumb and so in the same way jesus is saying here if you follow me you're going to be sticking out like a sore thumb in this world because you're going against the system. And don't be surprised if people hate you or persecute you for following me. And so um, he's saying this as a form of encouragement. And he continues on in verse 16. I'm sorry, verse uh, 26. He says, when the helper comes, who I'll send to you from the father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. There's the point of the passage. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the father nor me but I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So again, uh, just in summary, um, Jesus is saying all these things as a form of encouragement to the disciples and not only to the disciples, but to us 2000 years later. Um, I wish as I read through this passage I wish somebody had this talk with me when I first became a believer. I think it would have saved me a bunch of heartache. Um, I think that it's very common in the American church to say, Hey, come to Jesus. It's everything's going to be roses and chocolate and, you know, everything's going to be great. And you're going to be blessed and sure there absolutely. There's some of that, but we can't we can't leave out the other side of the message that Jesus is saying right here like if you follow me that there's this whole reality that you're going to be going against the system and you may pay for it through persecution or your life I wish somebody had that talk with me and I I just ask you guys when you came to know the Lord did somebody tell you this like did somebody actually sit you down and go hey it's gonna to be tough following Christ. Like people are actually gonna hate you just for following Jesus. I mean, I'm I'm looking at some of you guys, you're saying you're nodding your head, no. Um, I think for all of us, I think it's something to to learn from this passage. Like God, Jesus is prepping the disciples for for persecution, right? And he's encouraging them and telling them, like, hey, this is what's to come. Um, I just think it's really smart of us as maybe we lead people to Christ to have this conversation, like realize that things are going to get weird. Like you're going against the world um, where they're going along with, with all the things that stand opposed to God. And you're standing up and saying, no, 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 no. I'm going against that and following Christ. And so um, I don't know. I, I read that and I was thinking through that whole idea. I mean, I, I wish somebody had that talk with me, um, because things can get really weird. Even, even if you're not verbally, I don't know, even if you're not verbally standing opposed to, uh, to the world and what people are doing. And I, I have an example of that. Um, I think I shared it with you guys before. I never thought, I never, ever thought that this would happen, um, You guys, I got saved. Some of you know my story. I got saved out of pornography and sex and drugs and dark things. I mean, super, super dark things in my life. And when God came into my life, it was such a dramatic change. I mean, from like death to life, from darkness to light, like huge change. And everybody saw it. You know, they saw all those things kind of melt away the things that I was doing. And so I could never imagine that somebody would look at those things and say that they're bad. Like who in their right mind would actually say that, wow, like Jeff turned out to be a worse person or anything like that. But yet it's weird to me because I've had my own family member call me a Jesus freak, like persecute me for for doing what? for, for, for doing things out of love. Like it's, it's just strange to me to, to think about that. But I think that there's this whole reality where like we follow Christ, those who don't know him are going to persecute us, even if we're not verbally speaking out against them in any way. Right. Like just for loving people and doing good. It's so weird to see that, you know, there this reality of a spiritual warfare and a persecution towards us sometimes.